But I want to begin today in Mark chapter 14 with a strange passage of Scripture that we looked at previously, but we only touched on at that time. Because there's a connection, I believe, that uh, connects this passage that we're about to read with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we find in Mark chapter 14, verse 51 and 52, these words. And the young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. The scene here is the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has uh, been arrested. He's captured, if you will. He, of course, didn't try to run away. Uh, but all of his friends did run away. His disciples, they all left. And all that's left with Jesus, according to Mark, is this unnamed young man. And there are some words that, uh, that strike us in this little passage that says that the man followed him. He's wearing a linen cloth about his body. They grabbed the linen cloth and he ran away naked. And that's about all we know about this young man. Uh, unless we dig just a little bit deeper. The young man that's talked about in Mark's gospel, the, Mark uses a very specific Greek word, an unusual and rare Greek word, to describe this young man. And uh, it means that he's in the prime of his life. So this guy was about 15 to 25 years old. This guy was very, probably very athletic, at least athletic enough to run away from this mob. And so it's a rare word. It's only used one other time in Mark's gospel. And uh, we'll see where that word is used again in just a minute. What was the young man doing? He was simply following Jesus. That's all we know about him. Not a bad choice, but that's all we know about him. He was following the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we have anything here that says that people were surprised to see the young man there in the Garden of Gethsemane? Well, no. Was there anyone who was upset that this young man was following Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? No. We don't have anything like that. So no one was surprised, no one was upset, which tells us that this young man, whoever he was, some people uh, suppose that it was Mark himself who was writing the gospel, this young man was probably already known to the disciples. He was already known to be one of Jesus' many followers beyond the twelve. And the only other thing we know about the young man is that which is uh, most interesting uh, to us today, what he was wearing. He was wearing what Mark calls a linen cloth. The word is, the Greek word is sindon, S-I-N-D-O-N, sindon. This word only occurs three other times in the entire New Testament. And it occurs when people are talking about the burial cloth of Jesus. That's the kind of cloth that Jesus was buried in, a sindon. So here we have a young man who's very eager to follow Jesus, and he's wearing nothing except a burial cloth. Now, within hours, Jesus would be crucified, and he would be buried. And it would seem to me that there's some type of connection in Mark's story between the young man who's wearing nothing but a burial cloth and Jesus who would be buried less than 24 hours later. And if it's true that there's a connection here, what is it? And more specifically, what does it mean to you and me? The key is, uh, if we understand Mark a little bit, is 
to understand symbolism in Mark's gospel. Now, English literature was not my favorite class. It was my least favorite class. My favorite class was mathematics. I love math. I'm good at math. And as a pastor, I hardly ever use math. I use literature a lot. And, uh, and so I think the Lord has a, a sense of humor. But if you go back in your mind to those high school or maybe those college days, back to those English literature classes, and some of you are in high school right now, or, or even younger, answer this question. How does a story, story writer convey thematic overtones in a story? If he's telling a story, how do you convey a certain theme? Well, one way to do it is with symbols. The classic one is the beginning of the story where it says, it was a dark and stormy night, right? You remember that? And of course, dark and stormy night, that means a lot more then there's a thunderstorm outside, probably. He's setting the stage for some dramatic kind of event. If you remember the Lord of the Flies, that story, there are a couple of main characters in it there. There was a guy named Ralph and another one nicknamed Piggy. And uh, Ralph and Piggy discovered a conch shell. And that conch shell became a symbol of civilization. And whenever the boys had a meeting, in order to keep order, the only person who could speak at the meeting was the person with the conch shell. And so the conch shell represented order, it represented civilization, it represented all that was good and decent and right and structured in society. In the end, when Piggy is killed by a boulder falling on him, the conch shell itself is also crushed, symbolizing, with the murder, the end of civilization. The boys on the island had completely become uncivilized. And so that conch shell itself had meaning, had a depth of meaning it conveyed to the reader. In John chapter 13, verse 30, after the Lord's Supper, what we read is, So after receiving the morsel of bread, he, Judas Iscariot, immediately went out. Jesus had said, someone at this table is going to betray me. And we know who it was. It was Judas Iscariot. And after he received the morsel of bread, he went out. And the next words in John's gospel were, and it was night. It means a lot more than it was late in the day. It was dark. This is the dark time in Jesus' life when he's about to be betrayed. If you read Scripture with an eye toward understanding some of these thematic overtones, you'll understand that Mark's gospel contains them as well. And one of the more subtle themes in Mark's gospel that carries thematic overtones is clothing. And I want you to consider if you were Mark and you were telling the story of Jesus, why would you ever mention someone's clothing? It's unimportant, right? We're talking about the man Jesus. We're talking about the God who became a man. Why would you ever take the time to mention someone's clothing unless it was significant? In Mark chapter 1, verse 6, at the very beginning of the gospel of Mark, we read about John the Baptist. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and honey. What's Mark doing? Mark is telling us John the Baptist is just like Elijah. How do we know that? 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8 says this about Elijah. Elijah wore a garment of hair and a leather belt. 
And so Mark is obviously telling us this theme of John the Baptist's clothing matches Elijah. He's just like Elijah. He's a forerunner of a very important message or a very important messenger that is to come. Mark chapter 9, verse 3. Jesus is transfigured, right? He takes Peter and James and John up on the mountain, and he's transfigured. And what do we read about Jesus? And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. These brilliantly white clothes that Jesus was wearing tell us something about who Jesus is. It tells us about his glorification as he's more than just a man. He's more than Moses. He's more than Elijah. He is something different. He is God himself. And then we get to the end of Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 14, verse 61, Jesus is arrested and he comes before uh, the high priest. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. What does Jesus say? He said, I'm the ancient son of man. I'm the ancient of days. I'm going to be seated right by the Father himself. And I'm going to come with the clouds in glory. And I'm going to judge this world and you in it. You as well. The high priest tore his garments. He tore his clothing. And said, what further witnesses do we need? You heard it last from me. What is your decision? And so, at these key points in Mark's gospel, at the beginning, at the transfiguration, after the disciples figure out who Jesus is, and Jesus reveals his glory to them, and then finally, at the arrest of Jesus, you have a, not only a theme, but a major turning point in the story of Jesus Immediately after John the Baptist's clothes are mentioned, we're told that there's one who's coming that's greater. Immediately after Jesus' clothes turn brilliantly white on the Mount of Transfiguration, a voice from heaven comes. And it's God the Father, and he says, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Immediately after the priest tears his garments, the decision is made. Jesus must die. And so there's a turning point Every time Mark mentions clothing. Now back to these verses that we read a minute ago. Let's look at them again. And I want you to focus on the clothes. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, and he, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. This piece of cloth is so important to Mark that he mentions it twice. I mean, it seems like overkill, unless there's a point. He also explicitly mentions the result of leaving that piece of cloth behind, which should be obvious. You know, if he left it behind, it would be obvious they'd ran away naked. But Mark makes that explicit, too. He says, and he ran away naked. Mark isn't just recording something that's happened. He's telling us something significant. This young man, the last one to abandon Jesus in the end, runs away ashamed. Because nakedness, especially in a Jewish context, carries shame. What we have is a young man who is so eager to follow Jesus that he stays around when everyone else has left. 
But at the end, he runs away too. And he runs away naked, shaming himself. And so remember, the arrest of Jesus brings this follower of Jesus shame. With that in mind, turn a page or so over to Mark chapter 16. This is the resurrection account, according to Mark. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The women come to the tomb. They see the the rock has been rolled away, the stone has been rolled away. They enter the tomb. Jesus is not there. His dead body is not there. But what is there, according to Mark, is a young man. We know from the other Gospels this was an angel. But Mark wants us, I believe, to see a parallel between this character and the one in Mark chapter 14 who ran away naked because Mark uses the same term to describe him. The only other time, the only two times that Mark uses that term, a young man. But this young man in the tomb, he's wearing different clothes. He's not wearing a linen cloth. He's not wearing a burial cloth. There's no sense in that anymore. He's wearing a white robe. And what Mark, I believe, is conveying to us is that the shameful condition of the young man, the first young man, as he flees the scene of Jesus' arrest, that condition has been changed. There's a new condition. It's been replaced. It's been restored. It's been glorified, even. For Mark, linen clothing represents shame and betrayal and death. But now that Jesus is resurrected, There's a new state for us. You see, we're lifted up out of our shame. We're lifted up out of our our spiritual nakedness. We are forgiven for our betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everyone who was there that day, every single last one of them, ran away. And they denied the Lord. They did not stay around. Even the young man who was more eager than anyone to stay with Jesus, in the end, ran off 
Jesus has forgiven his disciples. He has forgiven every last one of them, even the young man. So we've been forgiven. We've been lifted up out of our shame. We've been raised from the dead with Christ. And we have new clothing now. Not physical clothing, but we have a new spiritual clothing now. We have a new life. And our new clothing is just like Jesus' clothing at his transfiguration. It is similar to that. It is white. We read in Revelation chapter 7, what will it be like in heaven? John says, And then I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Sometimes we jokingly think about evangelists who will come in to a church and wear the white robes and the white shoes and what, why, why would an evangelist ever do something like that most of them don't but stereotypically why would an evangelist do something like that he's getting a head start because he knows he knows there's going to be rea a reality of new clothing one day pure and white and not only because of the resurrection of christ are you and i clothed spiritually differently but our actions change as well the first young man in mark chapter 14 what was what do we know about his actions he followed jesus that's all we know and that's noble but in the end he failed he failed in following jesus he was weak he was scared he was ashamed of his failures that first young man represents what we used to be before we understood the power of the resurrection in our lives. But there's a new young man. We know he's an angel, but he, Mark describes him as a new young man. Sitting there in the tomb. The women see that empty tomb, but the man, what does he do? He explains why the tomb is empty. Do you understand what the new young man does? He witnesses. The very first person to put some meaning to the empty tomb was the young man sitting in the tomb explaining to the women why Jesus' body is not there. That is our new role. As people who have been affected by the resurrection, who share in the resurrection, we not only are clothed differently, not only are you forgiven, but God's called you to be a witness, just like that young man. In fact, that's how Mark's gospel begins. Mark 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark himself is the witness. This is the story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Mark's gospel ends the same way, with the young man sitting in an empty tomb as a witness as to what has gone on. He's witnessing to the risen Son of God. What kind of people are we today? You're either one or the other. You're either naked and ashamed of your situation, 
or you're living in the power of the resurrection. You're living spiritually forgiven, as indicated by your spiritual white clothing that you will one day receive. And you're living as a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. The first young man, he was no witness. He was running away. He was going to hide. Are you living your life that way? Hiding who Jesus really is from your friends, from your family, the people that need to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you living in the power of the resurrection, saying to people, the tomb is empty, and here's what it means for you. It means you can be forgiven. It means you can be restored. It means you can be glorified. It means that Jesus Christ is alive.